Well, we are meeting in the locker room today because it's been a season of really big games now for many months. And while the Detroit Lions will not be playing in the biggest game of all next Sunday, we're sure proud of our team. And a lot of us will be watching the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, proud of our team. But next Sunday, we'll be watching the San Francisco uh, take on Kansas City in the biggest game of all. Now, I'm tempted to, to, to throw this uh, to the back of the room, but knowing my football ability, I'd probably injure someone in the front row. <laughs> so I'm going to hang on to it. Any football game, there's a few places that are high excitement, and one location is the locker room. This is where players go to review plays and to get pumped up for the game. And uh, my two sons played football in high school at Northville High School here. And during one game, dads were invited into the locker room for the pregame, you know, talk by the coach. And uh, it was electric. The coach stood in the middle, uh, and all the players were around him, and the dads on the periphery. And the coach began, all right, men, this is the night. And he repeatedly called these teenage boys men. And uh, some of us dads, I'm sure I was the only dad that was thinking, well, sort of. <laughs> I mean, I still finance his life and all that. But the coach was calling them to something higher. All right, men, we have prepared for this night all season, and you have given me your very best, and I'm proud of each and every one of you. And before we go on that field tonight, I want to remind you of an ancient story about a boy named David and a giant named Goliath. And this coach of the public high school opens up a Bible and reads the story and retells the story in his words about a small boy with a big heart who defeated a formidable giant twice his size. I think we were playing Catholic Central that night. <laughs> They're a formidable football giant. And we chanted some chants, and we left the locker room pumped up and energized and ready for battle. And the teenage men went to the, went to the field, and I returned to the stands and where Angie was waiting for me with a cup of hot chocolate and a jumbo pretzel. <laughs> and the stands is the other place that's a really fun place to be in a stadium. There's food in the stands. There's energy in the stands. And the most spirited fans have painted their face and their hair. And we're all wearing our team colors. And it is electric. But the game isn't in the stands. It can feel like it is because of all the energy. And the game isn't in the locker room. It can feel like it is because of all the battle talk. But the game is in, on the field. And I want to talk to you today about getting onto the field of service. More than a few people have pointed out the irony of the Super Bowl is you've got one billion Cheeto-eating, lazy boy-sitting, armchair-coaching couch potatoes who need exercise watching 11 men on the field who desperately need rest. Generally speaking, we are not designed to live a spectator life. No child grows up with this dream that one day I will become a great watcher of television. <laughs> the cry of the human heart is, put me in the game. Sunday morning gatherings are more like the locker room. We hear inspiring talks, we talk strategy, we fire each other up, we chant some chants. But the game isn't in this building. It's what happens outside this building that really matters. And maybe uh, on Sunday mornings you feel your church life or maybe your life in general is more like sitting in the bleachers, in the grandstands, 
We watch. We see the professionals do their job. We're just not actually in the game ourselves. So I want to talk with you this morning about getting into the game of serving and why life on the field is better than life in the stands and better than life in the locker room. There are certain thrills that people only know when they get in the game of serving other people. And the first thrill that people know this way is this. It's the thrill of developing the gift that God has given me. The Bible says that every person, every follower of Jesus, everybody connected to God, has been given by God a special ability, uh, a, a talent, a spiritual gift. Everybody has at least one gift. Nobody has them all. And you did not get to pick which gift you got. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts as the Holy Spirit sees fit. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. You were given a gift. This is critically important because one of the most common reasons people give for not serving is they say, I I feel inadequate. I don't have any special abilities. I'm not a spiritual giant. Have you read about the kinds of people that God used in the Bible? Rick Warren writes about this in his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life. This is what he, a list of examples. He says, Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric, to say the least. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. And Timothy was timid. That's quite a variety of misfits, he writes. But God used each of them in his service. And he will use you too if you stop making excuses. Anybody in the Bible could have said no to serving because they felt inadequate. And think of what they would have missed. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, A ruthless honesty will always leave us shattered by our inadequacy for God's work. Our inadequacy for God's work. But this is not about what you or I can do. You feel inadequate because you are inadequate, but this is not about what you and I can do. Notice how when Paul teaches about spiritual gifts, he keeps bringing it back to God. This is what he said to the Corinthian church. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. It's not what you and I can do. It's God working through us. It's Jesus working through us. This is what God does. This is God's plan for the church. Everybody has a role to play. God's plan for the church is that it would be led by leaders and taught by teachers and administrated by administrators. And those who are suffering would be comforted by people of the gift of mercy. And those who are feeling isolated would be enveloped in by people who have the spiritual gift of shepherding. And those who need to be welcomed are welcomed in by folks with the spiritual gift of hospitality. When you serve in your area of giftedness, 
You make yourself available for God to use and to work through you in supernatural ways. And some of you know this feeling when you do something in serving God and you know, you, you know that wasn't possible for you. You know that wasn't in you. You know that wasn't an ability of yours and you have this sense that God has worked through you. You've had that feeling and that feeling just raises your faith in really profound ways. And if you miss this, you miss one of the reasons for which you were created. Only in the game do you know the thrill of developing the gift that God has given you and offering it to God for his service. That's the first thrill of being in the game. The uh, second thrill is the thrill of making a difference in somebody's life. The thrill of making a difference in somebody's life. It's a strange thing, and we all know this intuitively. When I make my life about my comfort and my advancement and my popularity... I never can have enough of that to feel happy. Uh, you may have noticed if you've been to a Lions game or to any sporting event that not all seating sections are created equal. Some areas are more desirable than others. You want a seat at the 50-yard line? You're going to pay for that. And you don't have to sit among the throngs of regular people. You can rent what many stadiums call a luxury box a special reserved seating section for you and your friends. Uh, we've seen a lot of these luxury boxes recently on television. Uh, this, is, this is Travis Kelsey's mom watching a Chiefs game with a young female football fan. <laughs> no, I know who that is. That's Taylor Swift. And the camera has been on her a lot in this season. In fact, it's bothered some people because the camera is supposed to be on the game, but instead of being on the game, the camera is in the stands. Now, these luxury boxes used to be uh, reserved for kind of affluent people, very proper people, um, you know, people who really have their act together, um, but things are, things are changing now in our, in our culture. Um, <laughs> This is Jason Kelsey, and, and I, I would have thought it would have been difficult to, to upstage Taylor Swift, but Jason Kelsey has managed to do that. Now, you can't tell from this photo, it looks like they invited a lot of people into their luxury box, and that was very kind of them. Most luxury boxes only have a few people, a few very nice chairs, and a buffet spread. Uh, but the problem is, uh, it, no matter how nice my seating section is, Somebody always has more luxury than I do. Someone always is going to get more attention than I do. The camera is going to turn on somebody else more than it is on me. And people can spend their whole lives trying to acquire and furnish bigger and better luxury boxes in bigger and better locations. But the problem is sooner or later, everybody ends up in the same kind of box in a very similar location. You know what I'm talking about? Six feet underground. And when that happens, nobody really cares about how nice their luxury box is. Whether it's made of pine or marble, doesn't really matter. What really matters when we're ready for our final box is whom we've served and who we've helped in the name and power of Jesus along the way. When you serve other people, you know the joy of helping others instead of just yourself. And you know the joy of really meeting needs, and that's the joy that really matters. That thrill comes when you're in the game. The third uh, thrill that happens when you're in the game is the thrill of doing what's great in God's eyes. 
There was a famous boxer many years ago who used as one of his taglines, I'm the greatest. How's that for humility? I'm the greatest, he would say. And that boxer was Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali tells a story about himself that he was on an airplane one time and the flight attendant was trying to get everybody to buckle their seatbelts and he didn't want to do that. And finally the flight attendant said, um, really the plane cannot leave until everyone has buckled uh, Mr. Ali. Please buckle your seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali said, I'm Superman. Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she looked right at him and said, Superman don't need no airplane. Jesus' followers were often like that and like us. And there's this intriguing exchange recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. It reads this way. You might remember this story. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of Jesus. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So apparently, even among the 12 people who were closest to Jesus, there was a jockeying for who would be the greatest. And James and John go as far as to get their mother involved. How embarrassing is that? And what does mom ask? Can my two sons sit in the luxury box with you, Jesus? One at your right and one at your left. And Jesus says this. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus gives them a little bit of hope that maybe they will be uh, on the right and left. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they say, yes, we we can do that. We can drink that. We can be right there on your right and your left. He gives them a little ray of hope, and then he dashes it as he continues. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard this, the the ten of the twelve, the two who weren't there, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And then Jesus gives a very short but profound teaching about what it's really like to have life in him, life in Jesus. Jesus called them all together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, Jesus' followers. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. One great New Testament scholar said the most difficult lesson that Jesus had in teaching his disciples was that God measures greatness in terms of servanthood. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. The kingdom that Jesus ushered in is so very different from the kingdoms that you and I have known. This kingdom of Jesus really is an upside-down kingdom. One day Jesus took off his robe, got down on his knees, and got a basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples. It was the most menial task of that day. Think of the the, the task you least like to do. And that's what Jesus is doing. And he's doing it not because it's his spiritual gift. He's doing it because community is built through servanthood. He's doing it because 
it happens when people let go of their egos. What people never understood about Jesus, and the reason so many people missed Jesus in his time and place, was because nobody thought the Messiah of biblical expectation, nobody thought the Son of God would come as a servant. It was unthinkable. At its core, this whole business of serving is not primarily about, about me feeling fulfilled. It's not about me impressing other people with my spiritual gift or the levels of my commitment. At its core, it's about following Jesus and doing what he did and becoming his kind of person. And it begins when you fall in love with Jesus and then begin to walk with him closely and you get to the point where you say, Jesus, whatever you want. I'll serve, I'll give, I'll go. So I want to I talk with you personally today about this business of servanthood. And I ask you to listen for the next few moments with an open heart. Some of you are using your spiritual gift faithfully, and I hope you feel the delight of God. Some of you are still investigating the claims of Christianity. Keep seeking God. That's your top priority right now, to seek God. Some of you are in crisis mode right now, and you need healing, and healing needs to be your top priority. But some of you are committed to God, and you've received his grace and mercy and power, you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. God has given you a gift. God has given you scriptures so you can know the will of God. God's given you community who can surround you and support you. God's given you all of these things. But the truth is, you're still on the sidelines. And I want to say this as gently as I can, but as clearly as I can. It's time to get in the game. It is time. It's past time. It's so important that we get this right. This is fundamental to the definition of what a church is. The church Jesus came to start was not a church of service attendees. It was a community of servants stewarding their spiritual gift for God's purposes in this world. So where do I serve? Do I take a class of some kind? We do offer classes on spiritual gifts every now and again. We do this as part of our membership process, and some people uh, this morning just came out of a class on spiritual gifts. You can take a spiritual gift test. We have a great one on our website. You can go to ward.church, spiritual hyphen gifts, slash spiritual hyphen gifts. This is a great page. This teaches a little bit about spiritual gifts and has some questions you can answer to kind of find where you might plug in. This is a lot of fun. But my top recommendation is that you just try some stuff. Try serving in different areas and see what happens in your heart. See what makes your heart beat fast. Maybe God's guiding you to a certain area within the church or outside of the church. Today, as you've heard, we've got some representatives from various ministries available at the Connections Center. Uh, we're encouraging everybody to get in the game by joining a team. And we will have some of those team captains today in the hallway. And you can find out about their team and see if there's a fit perhaps there for you. So in summary, if you're in the game, if you're serving, I hope you feel the delight of God in deeply profound ways. If you're searching for God, keep searching. If you're healing, keep healing uh, here in our midst. But if you're following Jesus and you're spending all your time in the locker room preparing for battle or all your time in, in the stands watching other people battle, it's time to get out of the bleachers and out of the locker room, and onto the field. 
I was thinking about my boys' football game, what would happen on that night if everybody in the stands put down their jumbo pretzel and hot chocolate and, and went out of the field, and you saw the whole field filled with people, that'd probably be chaos. But imagine our church and every church, if everyone got out of the stands and, and, and set down their egos and began to use their spiritual gifts, think of what would happen. There's nothing we could not accomplish in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray now that it would be so. Heavenly Father, in our hearts we desire to serve and to give, and yet the world seems to pull us in another direction. We want to be more like the one we follow, who came not to be served, but to serve, and who went to the cross and died for us. So God, help everyone here know the joy of a life spent serving you. The path you have given us may not always be easy, but it is the only road that brings true joy and meaning. Thank you for your companionship and leadership on the journey. This we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen.